Welcome to The Untrue Show, a personal journal covering pop culture, millennial life, relationships, and career from an untrue point of view, hosted by me, Dana Jones. And I'm glad to be back. Hello. Welcome, listeners. I am recording at my normal time and spot on the sofa, about to have breakfast early in the morning, ready to talk to you guys and excited to talk to you guys about this topic I'm going to cover I recently binge watched over a couple days the docu-series on Netflix called Cheer. And I really had some thoughts about it. it. Made me feel some kind of way. And I wanted really wanted to talk through that today on this episode. I actually cheered in college, so it was very relatable, a lot of the things they went through, but then some of it was not very relatable. So I noticed a lot of people on Twitter talking about you know, the episode and talking about their favorite things. And of course, you know, people have rants. So complaining about some of the things they didn't like. Um, I think that overall, what I liked about the documentary is that it talked about how cheerleading is a very expensive activity. And I'm not just talking about financial costs. It's a very expensive activity because it takes up a lot of your time. It takes up a lot of your mental capacity it just takes up so much of your life and a lot of people don't understand it's just really expensive to cheer for a all-star gym it's expensive to cheer for like a club I know I cheered in high school even that has a cost because you have to pay competition fees uniform all these things you know when your parents come watch they have to pay to get in and that was one part of the documentary that I was like wow look at how many of these parents of these athletes can't even afford to get to Florida to attend their competition they had to watch it online and the company that streams the competition makes you pay to watch it online so I get making money but um unfortunately that's just not you know, doesn't make sense for everybody to stream it and have to pay like what $30. I think it's 25 to $30 maybe. So usually what I do is watch, um, recordings of my, my squad, um, that other alumni have made and put on YouTube, or I just wait for someone who's at the competition to put their version of it on YouTube. Cause that's usually what happens. Now it's really hard for them to control who videos and who doesn't because everybody has a smartphone. I mean, you can make a movie with your iPhone. So I stay abreast of like the latest stunts and the latest competition results through YouTube channels. Um, and just watching clips that are posted there. I feel bad, but at the same time, it's like, I'm not in the sport anymore. So I kind of just watch it for recreation um and nostalgia a little bit so I'm definitely not going to pay 20 30 bucks to support someone or support anyone or support you know watching it if I don't know anyone competing maybe if I did I would justify it but neither here nor there um I think one of the cool parts of the documentaries it just showed the loyalty that the kids had to the team and to their coach they really really liked the coach Monica who's on there I mean some of the things they were saying like one of the girls said she'd take a bullet for Monica which I thought was was a lot but I think they really have a feeling towards her like she's their mom and she takes really good care of them and tries to mentor them and help them understand that this you know, this is one part of your life, but you have to stay motivated and encouraged when you leave here. And I think she gives them a lot of tools and equipment to be successful adults later in life. And I thought it was really cool that they had alumni come back and say, I'm always trying to get back here to see them. And when 
things don't go right or I mess up, I always think like, what would Monica do? What would Monica say? I thought that said a lot about who she is as a person. And um, I think that makes her a really good coach because they relate to her, they respect her and they want to please her. So they're always trying to be better, you know, because they want to, to, you know, make her happy and to, to win. And I thought that was really cool. Monica actually has a business background, which I thought was really interesting how she ended up getting her MBA and then ended up back in her hometown where Navarro, the college that's featured on the docuseries is as the coach. And she kind of went through and was explaining how, you know, while she does have that mothering nurture type of energy she also has to put on her business hat when it's time to make decisions so there's this thing and you know we had it in college too is where you make the mat so there might be like 40 cheerleaders which I think Navarro had about 40 people or they said they did they had a lot of people but only 20 get to go out there on the floor and then when you get down to it of that 20 it's almost like a puzzle piece because you have to piece together what makes the most sense for your routine and you have to work with your strengths and your weaknesses, almost like a personality test. So if there's 20 spots on the floor, they might have maybe seven spots for girls to go up in the air, four or five spots for tumblers, two or three spots for for stunters who don't tumble. And yeah, so it gets really granular once you get down to the nitty gritty of it is she has to pick the best people for those 20 spots almost like building out your best team for your workplace. And even when she was evaluating the talent, one of the girls, her name was Lexi, she she tumbled. I don't think she did a lot of stunt work, but she was a tumbler and she had really superior tumbling skills. But Monica was talking about how she hadn't really bought into the family of Navarro and she didn't really want to learn the history of the cheerleading program and she didn't really catch on the choreography very well. And so those would be her her weaknesses that were kind of working against her. Another one of the girls on the squad, uh, I know Monica talked about how she didn't have all the skills. Her name was Morgan, but she had the look. And I, I felt like a lot of people on Twitter kind of kind of honed in on the fact that she said the look. But I really think the look is something that coaches look for. Like, do you look like a cheerleader? Because Morgan looked like a cheerleader. And unfortunately cheerleading has a level of vanity to it and she just kind of fit the criteria of someone who was fit and had a can-do attitude and was attractive enough to be a cheerleader but I think by Monica saying that it kind of minimizes the fact that Morgan also had elite skills I saw that she did you know a hand handful which is two back handsprings and a full twisting layout is what our um, judges used to call it we were in college but a full uh, which is not a, a skill to sneeze at like it's a pretty difficult elite skill to get so she did have some of the the bare bones for getting to the point where she could get those skills and Monica made a really good choice and put her on the team because she worked really really hard and got better from tryouts they showed a clip of her tryout video and you could definitely see how she improved over that time and developed over a year and actually it was her second year. So over two years in the program, she, she, her talent got better. Her talent improved. And because Navarro is a junior college, she could probably go somewhere else and cheer for a couple years at a regular college after she finishes there. So I, I think the next thing I kind of want to get on is the, so the business of cheerleading, like I said, it's very expensive, but it's interesting. And I never really thought about this, how the brand varsity or the company varsity kind of owns 
everything that has to do with collegiate cheerleading. I mean, they run spirit camps over the summer. So you go to camp and you learn choreography and you learn dances and you learn new stunts, the latest stunt trends. Uh, Then there's American Cheerleader Magazine. They own that and they own a lot of different properties in this space to the point where it's almost a monopoly business-wise, which I thought was interesting. They even make uniforms. So it's just a lot that they have a wide umbrella of stuff they cover. I'm really appreciative because now I think there's way more visibility into the cheer community that isn't just the, the brand that Varsity puts out. When I was younger, that was kind of like the only thing. We had Bring It On, we had American Cheerleader Magazine, and that was about it. So it's nice now because of social media that other brands are getting the spotlight in in this space. Uh, But still, they kind of just own everything. And it's very costly to attend competitions. It's very costly to attend camps. And it kind of keeps a lot of people out who don't have the funds to do it. But one thing about the documentary is they showed one cheerleader named Jerry and how his community rallied around him to start a GoFundMe after his mom died and to keep him in cheerleading. And I really liked seeing that because it's it's just difficult. Like you lose someone and then you don't want to lose the ability to stay connected to a sport that gives you so much life and gives you so much hope and he was definitely the light of the docuseries he was he just had this positive expectant attitude uh towards the end and I know in the beginning he was very doubtful of himself but his confidence grew and I really appreciate it and there were a couple moments between Jerry and Ladarius who was his roommate where they had these really connected intimate conversations as friends and I I really like that part I like how they showcase their friendship Uh, there was one moment when uh, Jerry told Ladarius like you have to understand how people perceive you and Jerry was kind of oblivious he's like I'm not trying to make you upset but I just want to tell you sometimes people see you as negative and giving off negative energy and that moment to stood out to me a lot because I was like wow you know we all need friends who pull us aside and tell us things like that I remember moments when I cheered and I had my teammates or coaches pull me aside and tell me things like that and I was kind of immature then I mean it's in my early 20s and in my teens you know in high school and it's just like you hear someone tell you like hey you need to adjust in this way or hey this is wrong with your attitude and it needs to improve and you kind of brush it off But looking back, I'm really thankful for those moments where someone was like, hey, let me pull you aside and let you know. And they cared. It wasn't in a way that was mean. It was very constructive. So having those moments where someone can take you and say, hey, this might be why people don't agree with you or this might be why people get upset with you because Ladarius was very emotional. But when they kind of dug into his backstory, you start to understand why, because he went through a lot to get where he was and he didn't have a lot of money and he didn't have a community rallying around him like Jerry. So I just, I think it was really special. And I think that was probably one of the top, maybe if not the top moment about the documentary that I noticed. Another thing that I really thought about when I watched this documentary was the diversity in the cheerleading space, especially competitive cheerleading because I did it for so long, you just start noticing these things. And we never really sat down and had a conversation about race in cheerleading, but it's definitely not something I looked away from. It's definitely something I noticed probably at every competition when every squad took the floor is 
they don't have any people of color on their team. And having a guy is one thing. uh, But when I look out there and I don't see any women, I'm just like, where's, why didn't they do that? And there's so many layers to that conversation. And I think it's hard to really talk through because you think about it and you notice it, but I don't know all the solutions to fix it just because I think it starts deeper than the college level. If you don't make cheerleading in maybe eighth grade or seventh grade, you're not going to keep trying out after that rejection. I did, but everybody doesn't do that. I know I remember a lot of girls who would try out one time and they just would never try again. And I get it because you feel hurt and you feel defeated and you feel like you're not going to get the next chance to do it. And I noticed that a lot with college is if you try out and you don't make it, you don't keep working at it or not everybody keeps working at it to get on the team. So that's one thing I noticed. And another I notice is it's just a little bit more difficult to be committed regardless of color. So it's just hard in college to not be at work or to not be working on schoolwork and to be spending so much time doing cheerleading. So I think that keeps a lot of people out of the sport and maybe a lot of women of color out of the sport. It's a luxury to be able to be in college and, you know, not have to have a part-time job to support yourself. I know a lot of people were kind of like, left on their own when they turned 18 but fortunately I didn't have to have a job and it kind of gave margin in my schedule to be able to take on a task like cheerleading and there's just a lot that you have to kind of overlook because it's hard being the only person or one of the few on your team who's black there's so many different things that we have to you know deal with uh in terms of maintaining a look in terms of you know hair because that's the thing for us like how do you how are you going to wear your hair on game day it's a different thought process than a white person would have so it's hard not to be able to relate to someone on your team and then it's hard seeing teams not have that level of diversity on the floor and not be seeking that level of diversity but it doesn't there's no diversity score on the score sheet for cheerleading there just isn't it's a showmanship score and participation score and a spirit score like you get scored on things like that so I don't think it's it's a thing that stays top of mind like some of the teams that are recruiting I'm sure they're not necessarily looking at that right off the bat but when you get your team together it's hard not to notice oh wow everybody on the team is white like at least for me it's it's just makes you feel a kind of way and I wish there was more I could do about it instead of just talking about it, but it's just one of those things that hopefully will improve over time. I love that there's a lot more visibility to, to girls of color who cheer now, like there's women, um, black girls cheer on Instagram and social media. And there's a publication, I think it's called Holla magazine and it features all black cheerleaders. So I, I just like that they are getting more visibility than ever before. And because little girls need to see that we need to see cheerleaders of all color. It's kind of like ballet. I mean, looking at Misty Copeland breakthrough in the sport has been a really good thing for younger girls. Even Serena Williams tennis is not a black girl sport, but she and Venus have made it into that, which I really, really appreciate. I really appreciate because we never saw that before. We never saw 
women of color doing that. And I really am glad that we get to see that now. And it's, it's way more normalized than it was before. So the magazine I was talking about is called Hala Cheer and Dance Magazine, and it celebrates African-Americans and people of color in sports of cheer and dance. And I think that's very necessary. And I'm so appreciative that we have that now and that young girls have that just because I was a kid who was seeking those types of images, just keeping it real American cheerleader. I feel like I rarely see people that look like me on that cover. So imagine me thinking about my younger cousins, they get to see these things we were never exposed to. And they get to see these athletes that look like them across all sports. So yeah, it definitely made me notice. I I know that the squad had one black girl on it and they also had an Asian girl, which nobody was talking about that, which I thought was, was great. So if you think about it, how many people show up at tryouts for the team if they didn't recruit and know about the team and want to be on it that are diverse. It might be a little difficult, but not impossible, but difficult to think, okay, I'm going to go into college and cheer and I'm willing to make these sacrifices in terms of time, in terms of my physical body, in terms of my mental health. Cause I'm going to be around people who are not like me all the time. And there's margin for un- misunderstanding it's just, it's a, it's a lot to give up. Uh, it's worth it in the end if you really want to compete and be the best and you go to the right school, you pick the right program for you, but it's just difficult. And that's really all I can say about it. It's, it's difficult, but if you really love the sport, you'll make it happen and you'll find a home that fits. I know I found my program by watching ESPN late one night and just deciding in my heart and in my mind, like, that's where I want to be. This is what I want to do. I'm going for it. And I'm so glad that I did. And speaking of ESPN, I think that's another topic to kind of hit on is the fact that ESPN doesn't feature as much cheerleading coverage as they used to. Uh, I saw this one night. I think I had to be up really late, maybe two or three in the mornings watching this. And it's sad that that content like that is pushed off into a time like a dead time like who's up at two in the morning watching tv except by chance because I usually go to bed at 10 p.m so I was up by chance watching this and that chance kind of changed my life trajectory in terms of going to college and having this top of mind that I wanted to cheer and that I wanted to compete and that's what made me pick the program I went to so I just wish that cheerleading was more of a focal point on television and I get streaming and you make the money or whatever but way more people way more diverse people will get exposed to squads and exposed to to the idea of cheering and competing if it was on ESPN versus me going to pay on whatever and even one of the cheerleaders said that Ladarius he said he had never seen boy cheerleaders so imagine how many guys and girls and people of color and just people in general might get exposed to this and fall in love with it and want to aspire to do it and it just, it would change the game if they really put it back on there if they really featured it in the right way and maybe ESPN is in the right network so let's find the right network home to give this sport the platform that it deserves because it deserves to be seen as well and I think the more people that see it the more people want to do it and there's so many ways they can be exposed to it now but ESPN has a wide reach and just like they highlight all the other sports I feel like they should just 
really try to highlight this. You never know what can happen with it. I know that they're trying to make it an Olympic sport, so we'll see what happens with that. But I think this show really did a good job of explaining the difference between chilling on the sidelines and going out there and competing and doing pyramids and doing basket tosses and stunting because they're two different things. I hear so many people say, I cheered in high school, I cheered in middle school. You did, but if you didn't compete, it's just a whole different ball game. It's a whole different level of it. It's a whole different level of commitment too because all of it takes a lot of time, but this is hardcore. We're tumbling, we're throwing people in the air. You have to have a level of strength. You have to look good while doing all this stuff. So there's just, it's different. It's two different things. And um, I'm always arguing with my brother, like cheerleading is a sport. And he always said it wasn't until he came and he saw me compete. He was like, wait a minute, this is a sport. The level of athleticism uh, that's happening in the two minutes and 30 seconds when you're out there on the floor. And I think in some spaces, it's like two minutes and 25 seconds. So the two minute span of when you're out there competing, you're doing so much stuff. You're running so much. You're tumbling. You're you're smiling. You're looking pretty like glamorous like the girl next door and you're just at least the way we do approach things you're doing it with ease but you put a lot of effort into all of that stuff into looking good into making the stunts hit into mat talk which I never heard it called that but mat talk is where you motivate each other out there on the floor and you lift each other up and you give each other energy you say good job let's do this uh, yes, like go for it. Uh, the one thing I thought about Jerry is his mat talk was kind of sporadic. And I know, you know, some places do it like that. But I really like like the consistency of expecting something or expecting someone to say something when they're out there. Maybe that goes to the superstitions they talked about because a lot of squads have superstitions. I know Navarro mentioned some of theirs where they all hold hands. They all stand next to the same person in the circle. I mean, trust me, there's so many. I won't go into ours, but you just kind of have a style in a way. Like for me, I had a superstition of I used to try to wear the same bloomers that, you know, for every competition. So whenever bloomers are what goes under your children's skirt. And so I'll just always make sure like I got the same bloomers. I got the same ribbon. And those were kind of my things to kind of know, like, I'm going to wear this ribbon every time you have different ribbons for your hair but it's like I got this ribbon specifically to make sure I wear it when I compete and this is the one I wear every single time I compete so just remembering that for yourself I also had a superstition with tying my shoes so just make sure to tie them a certain way every time before we went out there and always listen to the same music I kind of switched it up but I kind of had the same song that I would listen to before like on the way to where we were going to compete yeah, so kind of just it gets it gets, you know, a little detailed, but you, you have your ways about you and the team has superstitions and the programs have superstitions. So those kind of come into play. I thought it was cool that Navarro cheerleaders kind of have a secret society of letters. I saw it was like FIU, FMO or some variation of that. And it kind of made me want to go back to my program, and be like, we need our own little character, you know, <laughs> our own little secret society of words that only we know what they mean and then when people ask we just be like it's secret like a sorority type thing I guess to an extent <laughs> I mean it'd be really fun I think it's nice that they have that and it makes them all a family and one of the girls 
who was asked, I guess she was one of our alumni on Twitter, was saying, this is something that you earn when you're in the program. It's something we don't tell people about. It kind of makes it, you know, like exclusive to them and exclusive to the to what they build. I like their chance before competition and after and how they boost each other up in those. But I also did notice how when the you know, maybe it's just what the cameras caught, but when the groups would hang out on their own, they kind of hung out in clicks, like all the flyers hung out. And then Lexi kind of was by herself or with the guys sometimes, uh, except when they were like doing makeup and hair and stuff. And then I noticed like, the black people and the trainer, they all kind of hung out together. So it was a little clickish, I guess. It's, it makes sense to an extent because you want to be around people, again, who can relate to you, who are like you. But speaking of the trainer on the team, I think her name was Kiki. They, this squad to me had a lot of dropped girls. That doesn't happen as often, or at least I never saw that happening so much where so many people got dropped. Yes, accidents happen, but it it seemed like a lot. I almost feel like I should have been keeping a, a a, like a marker of how many people got dropped on the team because I felt like the guys who were on the ground were not that attentive of spotters, if that makes any sense. They weren't really paying much attention. If a stunt falls and this, another stunt is connected to it, well, you know that person's going to fall. But there are people standing on the ground who just straight up missed someone. And she ended up dislocating her elbow and wasn't able to compete. So that was something I don't think is typical you don't have that many people get dropped and there were so many people hurt so I almost wonder if the method they go about getting to to the win is as healthy as it could be they did like 41 full outs because they were going for their 14th title and uh I wonder are they going to do things the same this year are they going to do 51 full outs because they're going for 15 seems like a lot of pressure and a lot of pain on your body and stress to get to that point is 51 really a magic number is 41 even a magic number because that's a lot like how many times does it take to hit it to know you've got it because just like Monica said in documentary anything can happen the day that you compete and in fact the day that they compete this is a spoiler if you haven't seen it, but I almost wanted to Google to see if they won last year and spoil the whole episode, but don't do that. Don't be like me. I didn't do it. I held off and watched to the end to see if they were going to win. So this was at the NCAA Nationals competition in Daytona 2019. So I was watching it and almost just like she said, anything can happen the day of, a guy tumbles, I think he was short, ends up hurting his ankle and they have to literally stop the whole routine, get him some care, get in an alternate 30 minutes to practice. And then the judging picks up right where they ended. So literally right after they got tumbles, but they judge what you did before and they can't rejudge that again because they already saw that part. Fortunately for them, they did a really, really, really great job on the first part what they did. And when he fell, that was pretty much the only mistake they had. So they picked up from where he fell and kept the competition going, continued the routine, resumed it maybe 30 minutes later, and then they ended up winning. It was maybe by some tenths of a point, like, yeah, a tenth of a point, because I think it was 97.7 was the second place, and they were like 97.83, something like that. So they ended up winning, which I thought was 
you know, the best outcome for this show. And it was really cool that they won. But is there a number of hit routines that they can get to prior to competition that makes them feel secure enough to win without overkill because when she said 41 I was like man that's a lot that's that's intense um we definitely had a different method in the program I went to so I just yeah I was like that's different to do it 41 times but yeah so hope you know I wonder if if they'll pick up for season two with the same squad will she kind of go into here's what we did right last season here's what we did wrong because 41 times perfect and then to get in competition and have something that's probably never happened before happen was it worth it doing all those 41 times that's kind of what I would would question as a very analytical strategic person (laughs) but so if you haven't watched the documentary and you never cheered before I think it's a really great introductory informative docu-series that explains what it is to compete at a collegiate level what it looks like how it works how much work goes into it you know the cost of cheerleading it's it's it covers a lot and I thought it looked really good and did a good job explaining some of those things I think it left a lot of things up for interpretation or guessing but hopefully there's there's clarification for some of those things in the future I love the intimacy of conversation between the teammates I thought that was really great and I'd recommend it I thought it was a great docuseries I think if you are cheerleaders definitely gonna be all nostalgic I know I boohooed when I saw them win and especially seeing the emotions of Ladarius's brother I mean a tear streamed down his face he was so happy for his brother and that just broke me down and I definitely cried at that moment so I recommend it if you're looking for something fun and different to watch I'd watch Last Chance You and I know the same creators worked on the cheer cheer docuseries uh and I think that there's just a lot to take away from it and it was really interesting and I think I appreciate them taking this route I'd love to see a docuseries about uh a team that I didn't do um like soccer or something like that or volleyball because there's a lot of volleyball programs that are really great out there so I'd love to learn more about the behind the scenes of what they do and you know dismantle some of the perceptions around those sports but I think in that case this this show really tried to to touch on those topics but there's definitely more to cover because cheerleading has so many layers to it and there's so many squads out there who have different methods and different approaches I saw they featured Trinity Valley which is Navarro's biggest competitor that's close to them and so maybe exploring how they get back to the the program they used to be they used to be a really a winning program but they haven't been able to win as much lately and they've gone through a lot of coaching changes so looking at all those dynamics the coach there is a black guy so like what does he deal with as a black man like coaching cheerleading and exploring different dynamics like that that haven't been touched on I've seen other documentaries about cheer and I think that just ignoring the topic of race is one that they all do And so maybe one that kind of specifically hits on that topic would be nice or at least at least addresses it in some regard would be cool in the future. But it's neither here nor there. And I'd say I give this documentary, you know, a minus. It was good and I appreciate it. It gave me a lot of nostalgia. It was bittersweet at some times. And I hope you guys watch it, too, and enjoy it as well. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. Like I said, I have a lot of things in store for you guys in the next coming weeks and for 2020. I'm so excited and it brings me so much joy to record every week and put out episodes for you. 
Hope you like them. If you do, give me a five-star rating in the iTunes store or let me know what you did or didn't like. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as The Great Dana J. And my blog is thegreatdanaj.com. And yeah, you can follow my blog on Blog Lovin' if you're on there. But thanks so much for listening and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye.